0: And set our mind on God and who He is and how good He is and how good He is towards us. And we're going to keep talking about that this morning. I think I want to thank Brandon for leading us in our time of communion, too. And, and actually, I thought this would be a good time to mention this while we're here. Brandon and his wife, Sierra, have been... Well, they got married in January, and Sierra moved to Manhattan at that point. Brandon had been coming to Bluemont for, like, a year or so? Yeah, so it's... Yeah, January of last year, um, so a year and a half now, and they both were impacted through a in, through a, a church in Ellsworth, Kansas, where they both lived, and really mentored there, and some exciting stuff is happening in their lives, I just thought it would be appropriate to, to mention today. They So, long story short, there's a group of people that have been loving God, helping other people be disciples that they've been connected with, and then... Brandon was here and has been part of of Bluemont for the last year and a half, but that group of people is actually starting a church in Manhattan in the upcoming future, and Brandon and Sierra are going to be part of that, and so we're excited, I mean, Manhattan needs as many believers, as many churches as we can have taking the gospel out, and they're going to, that actually sort of, plans are coming together pretty quickly. And so they're going to be starting to meet with, with that group pretty quickly here. So make sure you say hi or bye to Brandon. Not bye forever. We're still in town and still partnering together relationally and for the kingdom. But maybe a good chance to tell them how much you think he and Sierra are amazing people. And standing with them. So, all right. Well, today we're going to keep talking uh, amongst ourselves, sort of. And... I know that doesn't make a lot of sense, but we're going to start talking amongst ourselves. I want you to find a neighbor or two and answer this question: Have you ever experienced God's love in your life? Think about a time that you really experienced it. Think about a time that maybe more that, that comes to mind more than others like man at that time i I experienced god's love and Go ahead, and if you have an experience like that, if you don't, it's okay. Hope you get that today or in the near future. But if you've had any experience of God's love in any shape or fashion, just think about that and then share that with Anae. We're going to take like one or two minutes and tell those stories. So ready, go. All right. Well, I I bet there were some pretty cool stories and memories that Came up right there in those conversations. We really, all of us, have experienced God's love. It in different shapes and forms, and but it's something. As we're talking this summer about about the theme of love, really, the, our starting point is that we have to know God's love and receive it in order to pass that on to other people. And today we're we're going back to the kind of the whole the big that big starting point of how do we experience God's love personally. And how many of you have heard the fact, the statement that God loves us unconditionally? Raise, how many of you raise your hand have you heard God loves us unconditionally? Good. that's yeah, very it's something that's commonly said and it's very important truth that God's God doesn't we don't have to earn God's love like a lot of love in the world and maybe some other relationships we've experienced. It's where, oh. If I have to perform or measure up in order to get someone's approval or someone's love. And that is a really, really, really important truth, but it's not what we're talking about today. Today we're talking about something that may sound a little shocking to some of us, but we're going to talk about an aspect of God's love that is conditional. We're talking about God's conditional love. And by that I don't mean that God that we have to earn God's love, but that our experience of God's love, is conditioned upon our response to the love that he extends to us. It's kind of like if you're in high school, some of you are in high school, some of us used to be in high school, if you think it's it's prom time, and the person in your school who's the most got it going on invites you to prom. That's, the unconditional love being extended. This is the most the person who's got it on the most, they've got a crush on you. And they're inviting you to prom. And they come and they show up at your door and the big ask, and whatever they ask, and they've got this great night envisioned of dinner and dancing and conversation, and it's going to blossom into a beautiful relationship. That's the love extended to you. But Whether or not you experience that love is conditioned upon your response. You have the ability to say yes and go to prom. Or to say, no, I don't know, I think maybe there's somebody else. Or maybe I don't think you're that great. And our response to the invitation determines what we experience. And it's the same with God. God. It's not a question of God's love for us. But we live in an experience of God's love that has a lot to do with how we respond to him. And we're going to look at the story in the Bible today of Jesus raising the guys, this guy named Lazarus from the dead. So it's kind of, a, kind of a well-known story. But probably, you probably, know, if you think of that story, you maybe think of other, other points. We want to look at this story kind of from this lens of what does this story show us about what it takes to experience God's love. What is the part that's on us to come in and enter more fully into the sort of relationship that God wants us to have? And so I want to pray for us before we dive into the story. So, if you would, let's just close our eyes and, and ask God to help us. Lord, I just thank you today. I just believe this morning that you've already been working in our hearts this very day. And I, I believe that there's still more that you want to do. God, I just believe that you want to bring us more fully into a relationship with you, an experience of your love, more than, we, more than where we're currently at. So God, would you, as we look at your word, would you breathe into it afresh by your spirit? Cause us to see what you want us to see. Would you speak to our hearts? And not just, our, not just in our heads, but would you really help us to get what you want us to get and to live the life you intend for us? We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Alright, well, John chapter 11. going to read this. We're going to read the story and make a few points along the way. But again, we're looking the whole thing from the lens of, man, what is, what is God's conditional love? Like, what are the conditions for us to fully experience the life and the love that God wants us to experience? So it starts in verse 1. It says, Now a man named Lazarus was sick. This, and that's, there's a problem. And we live in a world full of problems, full of sickness, full of shortage, full of relational dysfunction, full of our own inadequacies. There's, there's a problem. He, this man, Lazarus, was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. This is, that's actually the next chapter. is a story about... One of these sisters, so it's three siblings, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. There are a few stories of them in the Bible. And in all these stories, we see that they had a close relationship with Jesus. In the next chapter, Mary's going to, they're going to throw a dinner party for Jesus. And in front of everybody else, she's going to take this, this, this really, really expensive perfume that's worth a year's wages. So let's just say $70,000 in a bottle of perfume. She pours it on Jesus' head as a sign of devotion and gratitude and love. And so this is is not just any family, but these are siblings that really have a a close relationship with Jesus. So it says in verse 3, so the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. So there's this problem, and think about a problem in your life. Because the same truth applies. Jesus speaks to this problem and says, hey, this isn't going to end in death, but it's for God's glory. That his glory may be revealed. And the first point I want to make is that it's essential for us to get this, if we're going to have, if we're going to live in the fullness of, of experiencing God's love, is that God's number one goal is not your immediate happiness. God's number one goal is not my immediate happiness. Jesus says here that, hey, the point of what this is all about is I'm going to do something that brings God glory. And I want to use this situation, this sickness, this problem to bring glory to God. I was, a couple of years ago, we, we, we have these Kingdom Living Bible studies that we use as like our discipleship curriculum for people to go through. And the very first chapter talks about God's creation and how He made the world. And we like to ask people in there, hey, what's, what's God's purpose for the world? And a lot of times we ask people this question what's God's purpose for the world? In fact, a couple of years ago, we started a Bible study at one of the dorms right across the street over here, first couple of weeks of school. And it was, all st- all freshman students that were from Christian backgrounds, and we asked this question what's God's purpose for the world? And everybody in the group agreed, God's purpose for the world is for me to be happy. And one person said it, and it's like, yeah, that's that's right, God's purpose is for me to be happy. And this like eight, nine people all were like, Yes, God made the world so I could be happy. And I just I hate to break it to you, but God's purpose is a little bit bigger than my momentary happiness. Now, God does care about our joy, um, as, as we celebrate it, as we worship this morning. There's a difference between joy and happiness, actually. Happiness is based on happenings. It's based on our circumstances. I'm happy because things are going well in my life right now. But if our happiness is based on happenings, then when things aren't going well then our happiness is gone as well. But God wants to give us a joy that is deep in our soul that's not based on circumstances. That's based on our relationship with Him and the fact that He loves us and He's bigger than us and He's brought us into something bigger. And that's, that's something much better than that. But, but we oftentimes, I mean, that sounds nice, but in real life that's hard, right? Like when things aren't going good, that's hard. But it's important to realize, okay, there's something bigger here than, than my immediate happiness. It goes, let's continue reading here. Verse. Verse 5. It says, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. There it is. There's the love of God. And... Why does it say that? Because doesn't Jesus love everybody? Well, I think it's pretty clear as you read this story and other stories about Jesus and his relationship with Mary and Martha and Lazarus. There was a unique depth of relationship that they experienced. There was this, this conditional love I'm talking about. Like they, there was a love that they got that the average show did not experience. And so... John, the author of the story, of, of account, this account, he's writing it down and saying, hey, he's making the point, there was, there was a quality of relationship here that was really meaningful. And our second point is that some people, and this is radical, I, I hope I'm glad there aren't any stones under your seat, because you might stone me for saying this. But this is, this is a reality based on what, this whole idea of conditional and unconditional love. Some people experience God's love more. All right, am I safe? Okay. Some people experience God's love more. Is that true? Do you believe that? That, I think it's true. Not that God is unfair or playing favorites, but some people experience God's love more than others. And Mary and Martha, they they experienced that. And so the, the zillion dollar question is, what? What's the question we should ask? Why? How? What do they get? Yeah, what are they onto that? Man, how could I get what they have? And that's we're going to that's going to be our main theme, but I think it basically has to do that they recognized who Jesus was. They believed in him. In a way, they believed that he was the son of God. They believed that he was the Messiah. They believed that he was not just an ordinary person, but they had a revelation that this man walking amongst them was sent from God. And their belief in him was not just this, like, taking a multiple choice test, like, do you believe Jesus is the Son of God? Yes, I believe that's true. But it was something that grabbed their attention. Wow, God has sent his Son. He has sent the Messiah, and he is here with us, and we have a chance to know him. And, man, what can we do? To know him more. And their, their belief in him produced a love towards him that caused them to reorder their life completely. And that's really what, what real belief is. When we, we realize, when we believe in Jesus when we believe in who he is, it's not just like, oh yeah, I go to church, I believe Jesus is God, I'm a Christian. But it's, oh, wow, God, you are the Lord. You are the Savior. You are my Lord. You are my Savior. Oh, wow, what can I do? know you more and the more we recognize who he is and reorder our lives around who he is the more we experience him more you know the stuff Jesus calls us into is is always radical you know God calls us into entrusting the deepest desires of our soul to him you know that's that's pretty radical but the more there's there's an aspect of a relationship with God that you only experience when you give the deepest needs of your soul to God. There, you don't experience his love in that way until you entrust those things to God. There are aspects of a relationship with God that you don't experience until you give your time to God. And so, man, it's it's hard. Our schedules, our life, and you know, all the all the demands. It's but there's something that it's like a It's a door. Like, do we walk through that door of saying, God, I'm going to put you first in my time. And those who walk through that door experience more of God's love. It's not that God's like, hey, I'm just trying to crack the whip over you and tell you who's boss and make you do this. But there's this invitation. Like, if you see who I am, then you'll put me first in your life. And as as you reorder your life around your relationship with me, then you experience more of that relationship. There's an aspect of God that you don't experience until you give God your sex life. I, and it's, it's amazing, I mean, what more to say, I don't know how to go here. You said sex in church, oh no. (laughs) But, it's really, really true that there, it's impossible to live the life God has called us to live in our sex lives. We can't do that by ourselves. But we can't just be like, okay, these are the rules and try to follow them. No, you can't really do it. And I don't care if you're single or if you're married or some other category. I don't know about. But when we entrust that part of our life to God, we experience something that we only experience when we walk through that door. And so we could go on and on. But there's a some people experience God more, and it has to do with us believing in him enough to entrust our lives to him and reorder our lives. You, know, you see Mary and Martha, they're always like, whenever he was in their vicinity, it's like, what can we do to have Jesus in our house? What can we do to spend time with him? What can we do because this is Jesus? And you just like, they got it. Like, they got it more than all the other people. Like, other people saw something special, but they really got it. And they were like, hey, we're going to get him in our house any way we can. We'll, we'll build an addition. We'll find a way for him to live here. And that's the sort of belief That leads us into experiencing God's love more. Okay, back to the story. Verse, where am I? Verse 5 and 6. We read verse 5 again. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Wait. Sometimes Jesus' logic isn't like our logic. Right? So Lazarus is sick. Jesus really, really loves Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And he gets the word that Lazarus is sick on the verge of death. So what does he do? He stays where he is. He does nothing. That doesn't make sense. Have you ever felt like that? I got this need in my life. I need God to come through. He's not doing what I need him to do. He must not love me. He must not be real. He must, man, all the, all the doubts enter our mind. The third point is, God's love towards us often doesn't feel very loving. And Mary and Martha are waiting for Jesus to come. They know he can heal their brother. He doesn't come. He doesn't show up. They're in this crisis. Their brother's about to die. Like, it doesn't get much more intense than that. They call out to God. They call out to Jesus. Nothing seems to change. Nothing seems to happen. And so, man, God often has a mysterious, odd way of showing his love to us. We, and, and, you know, we're really good at, at thinking, you know, we got it all figured out. And thinking, like, okay, this, if, if you love me, then you will do this. Right? Like, that's I have this need. Meet my need. That's, that's how we think. And, you know, especially, it's easy to think this way because God is so good at meeting our needs. And so many times we ask and God answers. I mean, being a Christian, it's a very common experience of God answering our prayers and meeting our needs. And oftentimes, especially when we're a, we're a baby Christian, it's like God is teaching us, yes, I'm a father. I want to give you what you want. I answer your needs. But then there are times when it's not quite so simple and it doesn't seem like God is answer, answering us. And so, it's important if we lose sight of the first point that it's not about our immediate happiness, then we're really going to struggle when it doesn't seem like God is loving us the way that we expect him to. You guys following? Is this real to life for anybody? Yeah. Besides me, yeah. anybody ever felt like, oh "God, where are you? What's going on? This isn't that this is a real problem. Where are you?" Yeah, that's, that's part of this world we find ourselves in and part of the way that God interacts with us in a loving relationship. So, verse 6. Um, it says, he, he waited two days and then he said to his disciples, verse 7, then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Ju- Judea, to the place where, where this family lived. And skipping ahead to verse 17, it says, on his arrival... Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem. And many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort. Okay, I mean, I just kind of skimmed over that. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Not good news. Doesn't look good for Jesus right here. Jesus waited two days, and then he takes this journey And it wasn't by airplane. It took a little while to get there. By the time he got there, Lazarus had not only died, but been buried for four days. How do you think that affected? What sort of thoughts do you think were going on through Mary and Martha's mind at this point? There's all the grief of their, their brother dying, premature death. And then there's this, where was Jesus? How come he didn't show up? How come he didn't come through? Where was he? You know? All that all that stuff, all the thought process going on in their mind. It was it was not just like God waited till the last minute and then came through. The last minute passed. He dead he, he dead. <laughs> he he dead. He's he's all right. He he's in the grave. He's dead. It's not looking good. It's bad. He's dead for four days right here. And then, and then Jesus shows up. I mean, it's almost better, like, don't show up now, right? Like, you didn't come through when we needed you. Better just, like, stay doing whatever you were doing now because you didn't answer our prayer, you didn't give us what we needed. So that's what happened. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. I think you can kind of see their personalities coming through here. Martha was always the practical, let's do something, let's let's take action. Mary, it seems, was more deeply expressive and emotional. Martha's like, okay, let's go out and talk and meet him. Mary, I can just imagine being overwhelmed with grief and emotions, just like, I, I don't even want to see him right now. Like, I, I, I can't handle it. I am just staying back here. Verse 21, Martha and Jesus come together. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Yeah, I, I, just, I, I like this. You can see Martha's internal processing going on. She's, she's, there's the temptation to let go of faith, to let go of belief in Jesus in this situation, because things are not looking good. But, she, but she's like, no, I know. You, I, I know you, Jesus. I know you have, you're from God. You, you're a healer. I know... You could have healed him. And you know, something in me saying, even now, even now, maybe there's still hope. Even now, God will give you what you ask. I mean, that's some, that's some faith right there. You know, and there, there's, this, there's that inner sense that God gives to his people. And sometimes it's buried. But there's that, mm, there's something there. Even now, God, you can still come through. And that's what God wants us to look to and go to. He, he goes on. Where, where am I here? Uh, you're whispering, but I can't hear you. Thank you. <laughs> 23. All right. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Well, there's Jesus bringing hope. Bringing this impossible statement. Your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And so her mind goes to, yeah, at the last day, the end of time, he's, there was going to be a resurrection. I believe he's going to rise yeah. again. And we may be, And it's easy to be like, okay, she's missing what he's really saying here, that Jesus is going to raise him right now, but even that, like, we as Christians kind of take this for granted, but in a Jewish culture, this was not a given, this was, the, the religious people were debated about whether it was, there was going to be a resurrection, or not, or if just this life was, was all there was, that's what the division between the Pharisees and the Sadducees was all about, and so she's, she has some faith on her, I, I believe, yeah, okay, I know he will rise again in that resurrection on the last day. Um, But she's she's interacting with what he's saying here. Are you, I, I just can imagine her asking, but are you saying there's something more, maybe? And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me, whoever lives by believing in me, will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who's to come into the world. Man, there's this this conversation where Jesus is inviting her to trust in him. Say, believe in me, even though someone dies, I'm still the resurrection and the life. Even though the situation looks hopeless and impossible, it is not over. But I am with you. I can still bring life. And it comes to whoever believes. Verse 28, after she had said this, but it's, but it's huge. You know, it, I, that verse, sorry, I just want to come back to the question Jesus asked at the end of that. He, he says, this is who I am, this is what I do, but he asked her, do you believe this? And that's the conditional love. That's the same question Jesus asked you today and tomorrow and next Friday when it's you're facing a really tough situation Jesus says hey I am the resurrection and the life the one who believes in me will live even though they die the one who believes in me will never die do you believe this and we have to answer that question on a daily basis am I believing this am I believing him in my situation In my hopeless scenario, in my discouraging situation, do I believe this is true for me right now? Verse 28, after she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside, saying, The teacher is here, and he is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, There it is. Here it is again. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. There it is again, the question. God, where were you? How come you didn't come through? You could have done something. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews, Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping. He was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Man, God cares. God cares. Yeah, he's got an answer. Yeah, he's going to come through. But (laughs) he gets it. He's there. He's in the pain. He's in the pain of a broken world. He's in the pain of broken situations. He's in, he's in your pain. He's in my pain. He's in the pain that every person has that nobody else knows what it's like. And that's the reality. But God is there, even when it doesn't seem like it, even when it doesn't feel like it. He's there. He is. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, See how he loved him. You know, and this is essential. This is you know, our, the next point. God is deeply moved by our brokenness. God is not this deist picture of God who's... A zillion miles removed from what's going on on an emotional level, but he became flesh. He entered our world. He cares. That's why he entered our world. That's why as we celebrate communion, what we're, we're celebrating that he entered our world. He entered the pain and the brokenness to do something about it, but first to identify with it. And no matter what we are going through or what we've gone through, what anyone we know is going through, God sees that. Jesus sees that. He cares. That, that same emotion in him that led him to weep, to be deeply moved. And today, God, as he looks at the world, as he looks at our life, he is, he is in that like nobody else. He is in that, identifying with us, caring with us. He's there. It's, man, it's It's essential. And we know that. And we experience that. God wants us to experience that. In verse 37, But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? There's that question again. And it's interesting that even though God is deeply moved and deeply caring about the brokenness of our lives, the brokenness of the world, the brokenness of our relationships, it's still possible to not realize that he cares. Even though, I mean, in this situation, Jesus is demonstrating his emotion right in front of them. But for some, some got it. It's like, Oh, wow, yeah. See how he loved him. But some said, hey, well, why didn't he do something about it? There's, there's still the opportunity to, to believe God's love. It's still on us whether we're going to experience that, believe it, or not. The story doesn't end there. Verse, 37, verse 38, Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor. The King James gets it more accurately. King James says, "It's been four days. Surely he stinketh." <laughs> That's really like there's a stench. There's this body's been dead in the Middle Eastern climate for four days. Not only is he dead, but it really stinks right now. There's a reason we sealed up that tomb. There's a reason we took that body and put it in that tomb and put it rock there and seal the door, because it stinks. And, you know, sometimes we do that. Sometimes we do that with the stuff in our life where there's pain, there's things that the things don't work out the way we wanted them to, or there's death, or there's disillusionment, or whatever it is, and we don't know how to handle it. And so we try to shove it back in a cave, and Seal it up, because the longer it sits there, the more you think about it, 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 it stinketh. It rots. It's that by itself. If, if you just try to deal with that rotting corpse in our own, in the natural world, you really, it's better, to, it's better to stuff it. It's better to seal it up. Because our own resources do not give us what we need to deal with that, that disillusionment, with that death. So Jesus says, take away the stone. They're like, uh, doesn't sound like a good idea to me. And Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? Wow, isn't that awesome? Depending on your perspective. But Jesus says, did I not tell you, if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Man, that took some faith on those people's part. They, he said, if you believe you'll see the glory of God, there's a rotting corpse behind this stone. He says, take it away. He says, you'll see the glory of God if you do this. They took him at his word, and they opened up that tomb. They went there. They rolled it away. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that, you've always, that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face what a scene. I mean, what would you pay to watch that movie in person? Like, to be there. That would be amazing. Like, Jesus speaks to the tomb and then this dead dude, wrapped, mummified dude, like, walks out. That would be incredible. That's amazing. But it happened. Jesus did it. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. That's a whole other message we don't have time for today, but, Sometimes, usually, even when God does a miracle, even when God saves somebody, we still have our grave clothes. We still have our old patterns. We still have the old ways of death about us. And it takes other people taking off those those grave cloths for us to come into the freedom. It's something, we need both God's miracle and also other people around us. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did believed in him. And our last point is really the point I've been trying to make all morning, is that when we trust him, he comes through. When we trust God, he comes through. When we trust him in brutal situations, he comes through. And Jesus has, not only did he raise Lazarus from the dead, but really he came through for us in an exponentially greater way. When he went to the cross and died and was raised from the dead to bring life to the world and that is the life that brings life to us as Brandon said both after we die forever and an experience of the fullness of life God meant for us and a relationship with God here and now that we can experience and does that mean that we will never have problems no does that mean that nobody ever dies no. Does that mean that every sick person gets healed the first day we pray for him? No. But it does mean that when we trust him, God comes through. And the Bible says that whoever believes in him will never be put to shame, will never be disappointed. And we, the life that God brings through his resurrection is, is for us. Now, oftentimes he does heal people. There are many, many times and throughout history where he's raised the dead. He's the God of miracles. He's bringing his kingdom. He's bringing his fullness into the world. Um, but when we trust him, he comes through. And no matter what happens on a circumstantial level, we can experience that internally on a heart level. And so, yeah, that's what God has for us. That's the life that he has for us. But it has to intersect our life, and our stuff. And so, I just want to kind of do what we did at the beginning right now, is turn back to your neighbor, or two, and just talk about what about this story, and what I talked about today, is most applicable to your life. What speaks to your life the most? And then, is there anything that you've, since God prompting you to do? Any any step of faith, any step of obedience, any adjustment of your thinking that God wants you to take. And then, and then, um, we'll give you a chance to pray for one another. And just take a couple minutes and, and pray for one another to experience God's resurrection life in these areas of our life. So, does that make sense? Yeah. Good, alright. Let's just, let's do that. Let's take, um, what time? Let's just take a couple minutes and... Do that, and just try to be succinct, like this is the one thing God did that stood out to me. This is what I want to do in response, and then let's pray for each other. I'll take about five minutes and do that, and then Jenny's going to come up and wrap us up.